praise this morning. He is worthy. Jesus, we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Be magnified and glorified in this place. Let the anointing of God today in this house, Lord, break every, every stronghold of the enemy. Let life come where there's been death. Let strength come where there's been weakness. Let hope come where there's been defeat. In Jesus' name, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. Have your way. We look to you, Father. We look to you, Father, because you love us. Because you made a way for us where there was no way through Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. And we welcome you to change us today. Be the difference. Be the difference in our lives, Lord, that makes us more like you. We thank you for your presence here. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. We'll give him one more praise today because he's worthy. He loves you today no matter where you're at in your life. He has the answer that you need. We're going to make our confession before we're seated. And if you're here as a first-time visitor, we welcome you this morning. We're glad you're here. We make this confession because there's a lot of things we can say every day. But the best thing to say is what God says about us. And that's what we're going to say this morning. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. Hold it. Everybody say that again. My best days are right in front of me. And I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. Give God praise and you can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, we're glad you're here today. I believe God has a message for everybody that I know it was for me, this whole series. You can start over. Turn to somebody and say, you can start over. You know, all of us have opportunities in our lives to, we make decisions, we make choices. And uh, how many of you can look back and say, oh, I wish I'd have done that a different way. <laughs> I think we all can say that. And, uh, but God always makes a way. Uh, last week, we talked about all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And uh, thank God for mercy. That's what we talked about the first Sunday. That's the mercy of God. Uh, it's new every morning. So whatever happened to you, even before you came in here this morning, there's newness right where we sit today because God, God wants us to succeed. He wants us to be successful. And so he's always working on our behalf to make all things work together for good. For those who love God, everybody in here love God today and are called according to his purpose. All of us are called for a purpose. We just, we just stated that. And it's important to keep that before you. Purposes in life, sometimes they change. You know, we have seasons in life. Uh, sometimes our purpose is to raise children. Sometimes it's to work so children can go to college. Uh, we have different things that each one of us are going through. But we all have purpose, and we have it all the time. Not just for a certain thing, but all the time God is working in us, those purposes. So today we're going to be sharing a little bit different. We're going to talk about you can't go back. Turn to somebody and say you can't go back. Um, You know, I was thinking in my life and uh, there was a season in my life uh, years ago when I was divorced. And after I was divorced, um, a little while after that was final, I begin to think, I have made a big mistake. Have any of you ever thought that was a big mistake? But I couldn't get back. 
And because I couldn't get back, I began to panic. And then I made a lot of other wrong choices. How many have ever done that? You start to go back to fix something and then in the midst of trying to fix it because you don't really have revelation in your life of what really went wrong. You just want to get back to where you think you can fix it. And really, if it's ended, there's going to have to be some things done in our lives that will help us fix it. But we want to fix it right away. We want to change that situation. Some people are locked up in that position of still wishing they could fix it, but they can't. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to turn to Philippians 3. We talked about this last week, and uh, this was the last scripture we, we shared. And uh, I shared, at least in my life, when I read this scripture in Philippians 3.12, it made a huge difference in my life. Uh, it says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Everybody say, press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Uh, I didn't really ever think about that scripture. I always read the next two, which we're going to read in a minute. But Christ laid hold of my life for a purpose. In other words, Calvary, when he died for mankind, he died for mankind to be able to accomplish the purpose that God had created them for. He made a way where there was no way. It says that even in a, in a wilderness, God will make a roadway. He will. He will find a way to get us where we need to be. And I realized that I did have purpose. I did have something that God had called me to. I just needed to recognize that I had to press on. Everybody say, press on. <clears throat> Excuse me. We live in a fallen world. We have situations and circumstances that happen in life. I mean, life happens. Things happen in our life that resist the plan of God for us, that cause us to want to shrink back or to give up. But... God wants us to keep going forward, and we go forward to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, it says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So there was a purpose for his life, but he had to endure the cross in order to achieve that purpose. And all of us have situations where maybe we've made a wrong decision. Maybe somebody else's decision has caused us to be in a situation where we just stopped. Maybe the dream that we had for our life, we just kind of gave up on it at that point. And we, we can't go back, but we can go forward. Everybody say we all can go forward. We all can go forward. And this is what Paul said. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Everybody say forgetting. And then the next is, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Everybody say reaching forward. Forgetting the things behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, we're coming into the Easter season, and, and if you read Scripture, there was a point even for Jesus where he said, Father, if there's any way that this can be accomplished different, differently, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. That's when he decided to press through to the goal of the prize that he was to attain in this life. And we all have those situations where um, I'd like to just say that they're interruptions. Everybody say interruptions. When something is interrupted in our life, it doesn't mean it's finished. 
it just means it stopped for a, a period of time. But it's our choice how long that period of time is. We make that decision. You know, God is always propelling us forward through his word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we have that choice to wait as long as we want to wait in that situation before we go forward. And I think there's a lot of people that are locked up um, in situations where they haven't forgotten the past and they're not reaching forward. And so that's that place where it's a waiting time, and it can be a real wilderness. Everybody say a real wilderness. Uh, You know, when I was looking at the Word of God, God uh, said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, therefore good and not for evil. Um, The New King James says, the thoughts I think toward you. God is not thinking about uh, punishing you or stopping you. God is thinking about propelling you into all that he's called you to be. So his thoughts, his plans are are still active and alive for your life, whether you're living them or not, whether we're living them or not. God still sees those things in our lives that we're called to be. And um, different things in life stop us. Um, I just want to talk about a few from the, from the Bible, but then I'm going to share uh, the story of the pastor's wife, Sharon Doherty, where we were in Tulsa. And uh, we're going to talk today about grief. Everybody say grief. Um, God began to show me that grief isn't just uh, something that happens when somebody dies. Grief is something that happens when dreams die. Grief is something that happens in a relationship where people separate. Everybody say grief. And, uh, you know, the one thing I said years ago when I was divorced, I said, you know, And I didn't know a whole lot then. This isn't scriptural or anything. But I said, well, you know, divorce is different than death. In death, you don't see that person anymore. In divorce, you still see them, and you know they rejected you. That's different. Everybody say, that's different. Because you are reminded of it on a daily, whatever, yearly basis. If you have children, it's always there. It it never really goes away that there was a a splintered relationship. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to stay there. God can heal. God forgives. God restores. We're supposed to get up and go forward. And, And I experienced that in my life, thinking about my guilt and condemnation more than thinking about God's grace and his mercy. And at that point, we're locked up. And grief, everybody say grief. Grief begins to take over people's lives. And in Second Samuel, I was looking at the story of David. And, um, you know, David was a mighty man of God. God said he was a man after his own heart. Uh, he was a very humble man. He waited for his position. Uh, he let Saul really um, attack and come against him, and he never retaliated. In fact, he showed mercy to Saul on a couple occasions when he wouldn't have needed to. And all these things in his life were good. And then one day he was looking out the window and he saw a woman and that weakness in his life uh, overtook what he knew to be the truth. Because if he loved God, that weakness, he would have been able to overcome, but it overcame him. And lust took over and beyond that murder, he actually murdered the man that uh, was the husband of the woman he had committed adultery with in order to hide what he did. It was all about himself. And even though he was a mighty man and God said he was a man after his own heart and after it was all over, 
He continued to be the king. He continued to be the one that had all the money for the temple. Everybody say, God wants us to go forward. See, there was a point, though, where he had to recognize what he did. He had to repent for what he did. And I thought it was very interesting. It says in the, in the book of Second uh, Samuel that he, when the boy was, his son died as a result of all of this situation. And he said he was grieving. He wouldn't eat. His, his men around him tried to get him to eat. But he was grieving because he, he didn't want to lose his son. And so when his son died, it says the men that surrounded him wanted to go tell him that his son died, but they were afraid to tell him because he was in such bad shape. He was so upset that they didn't know what he might do if he found out his son died. And when his son did die and they told him, he got up, washed his face and moved on. And it was, he said, this is what he said. And I want you to see this in second Samuel 20, 12, 22 and 23. This was his response. And he said to these men, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for, I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I remember when I was really struggling, God said to me, what is behind you? Well, you can never go back to if it's to be back in your life, it will come to you going forward. It's not, I can't go back. Everybody say we can't go back, but God will restore and you may run into it again going forward. Everybody say going forward. But what grief wants to do is hold us in that place. And what David was saying, it was My son, I cannot get him back, but I will see him again because I will go to him. His future with his son was forward, not behind him. And he couldn't rectify what he did. In Numbers, the children of Israel, um, they came to that promised land. And there were those 12 spies that went in there. Ten of them saw the same thing that the other two saw, but ten gave a report of, we can't do this. We can't do this. We will not be able to do this. You know, I think there's oftentimes people in their dreams, they get to a point, they get to a situation where circumstances rise up and everything around them says, you're not going to be able to do this. And in their situation, they just begin to even want to stone the two men, Joshua and Caleb, who had the good report. We can go in, we can take the land because God said he's going to give it. Everybody say, give it. The plans of God and the purpose of God are given to us, not by merit. Could I say that again? Not because we're something, because Jesus is everything. And God has planned that for our life. And when we connect with him, then the power of God comes for us to achieve it. And so these men, these 10, only saw what they could do. The two saw what God would do. But the 10 upset the whole congregation. And in the end, put all of them into the wilderness for 40 years. And if you look in the, in the word of God, it says in numbers 14 through 39, they begin to mourn for what they had done. They begin to grieve because they had gotten right to the promise. And because of the circumstances, they said, no, in fact, they were going to attack the people who said, let's go forward. And they turned the whole congregation into a place where everybody got locked up. Everybody ended up in the wilderness. I think this happens in families. 
You know, I remember when I was raising my children by myself, and I thought, you know, if somebody would just come fix this mess. How many of you have ever felt that way? If, could somebody find somebody who can fix this? And then I realized with God's help that I was the one who had to fix it. And he said, if you're okay, they'll be okay. If you're not okay, they won't be okay. At that point, I said, well, well, then we're all not okay (laughs) because I'm not okay. But the goal wasn't that I would just give up. The goal was that I would examine myself, take responsibility for being the mom in the situation for all my mistakes and say, okay, I will find a way to get okay because these kids need to be okay. Amen. And eventually God did that. I mean, it took a while, but God accomplished it. They begin to mourn. And in Numbers 14, 39 through 43, it's a, this says you cannot go back. Everybody say you cannot go back. Some things just cannot be fixed the way they were. Then Moses told these words to all the people of Israel that they were actually going to die in the wilderness, those who had rebelled. That, that was a very costly uh, mistake. But the younger ones that they had said they feared would be annihilated if they went into that promised land, God said, those get to go in, but you won't get to go in. And so they began to mourn. And this was what they decided to do. And they rose early in the morning and they went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are. We will go up to the place where the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And then Moses said, now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Everybody say, you cannot go back. But they thought, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble, so now we're going to go back. That's exactly what I did in my life. I thought, oh, I made a mistake. I'm going to go back. And out of that, I ended up in a worse situation, ended up in another divorce, ended up in places I did not need to go because I tried to fix what only God could fix. Everybody say, sometimes only God can fix it. And that's where it begins to affect us. We have to make a choice. We have to make a decision. What are we going to do in this place where we want to go back, but we can't? Where we want to give up, but we know we can't give up. I want to tell you this. The call of God, whatever it is on your life, whatever it is on your life, uh, I'm glad I didn't get called to ride the garbage truck. If you drive one, I commend you or you ride, because that is a hard job. Now, I can think my job's hard some days, but that in the winter, I see them. That's a hard job. I'm glad for the thing God called me to. But the thing I'm called to is just as difficult as that garbage truck sometimes in the calling that I have. Whatever you're called to, there's going to be difficulties. I heard Paul Doherty say last night, it just comes with the territory. He said a lot of Christians think they signed up for a cruise ship. And we are on a warship, folks. That is the truth. We are in war to possess land that the devil has stolen from you, from me, before you even knew it was stolen. It's been stolen since Adam and Eve. And so we're on a path to possess the things that God has for us and to not rebel and not turn back from what God has. And so as I was thinking about this, this past week, Um, the book uh, that Sharon Doherty has just written. Her her husband was Pastor Billy Joe Doherty. They were our pastors in Tulsa. They're where we grew up in the word of faith, my husband and I and my children. And uh, we were blessed to be a part of that that place. The vision of that man and the things he accomplished uh, created a real desire in us 
to believe God for things, to believe that God does heal people, that God saves people, that he delivers people. And uh, I thank God for the way I was trained. And, and he, Pastor Billy Joe, one of the greatest things that, that was a part of his ministry was his healing ministry. Whenever he would have a service, we never had a service that he did not invite people to come to be healed. And many times we would just have a praise and worship service and a healing service. And so when he became ill and, and eventually he died at age 57, his wife, Sharon, and their four children, this was a shock. Everybody say a shock. And there's a huge church. Now, I'm not talking uh, what maybe we've even seen in this city, but at the time we left, it was six to 7,000. And then when this happened, it was about a 12,000-member church. How many of you know that is a lot of people on board the ship? And, and you know, the enemy is always looking to uh, discredit what God will do. And he attacks in the area of somebody's anointing. The greatest part of their life, he will come after that because he wants to discredit God. Not necessarily the person, but in discrediting the person, he discredits who God is. And God is the healer. And Billy Joe always told us in that church, he always said, we do not, we do not believe because of people's experiences. We believe because of the word. And that was the anchor for him. And so... <clears throat> Yet when he passed, it was such a shock that um, Sharon, for the first, she said, four to six months, her mind was just fuzzy. She she really couldn't think clearly, but she heard God say as she began to pray and, and pray in the spirit, God began to speak to her. You're going to have to steady the ship. You need to take the reins. You need to begin to steady the ship and take this church and lead it. Now, they had always led together, but she was a, a minister. She, she was a ministry gift. She sang, she preached, but she did not run a church that had that many facets of organization, things that had to be done. And uh, she, said it, she says in this book, she's so grateful for the people, the giftings that God put around her to take her through that place. But she had to make a choice. Everybody say a choice. She couldn't go back to the way it was with pastor and they were a team. They'd always been a team. Uh, at that point, she had to make a decision to go forward without him and into an arena that she had never, ever been in before. In other words, totally out of her comfort zone in a situation where there was grieving because she had lost the man that she loved, the, the father of her children, uh, her whole life had made a huge change. And at that point, God said to her, you need to take the reins and steady the ship. Everybody say, God is always going forward. And at that point, that's what she did. But I want to read you a few things. You know, today, um, if you're stuck in a place of grief, and I believe God showed me, there's many people who uh, think they're just discouraged, but they're really caught up in grief. There's many people who think they're depressed. And they are but they are caught up by a spirit of grief. And a spirit of grief is a place that people cannot come out of unless they recognize that that's what it is. Because in that place, you have to recognize grief, and, and she talks about it in here. Grief is not about the person who died. Grief, grief is about the person who's alive. 
they're the person who has the issue that has to be dealt with. The person who passed is rejoicing in heaven. So grief becomes a self issue. And what does the enemy want us to do? To turn into self, think about ourselves, think about how hard it is, and then we can't get out. Everybody say can't get out. Cannot get out. God wants to free us today from that situation. If you're here, you're in that situation, you have come on the right day. Because this is a day to be freed from a spirit of grief. And it can attach at any point in our life where we allow the enemy to put us in a position where we cannot go back, where we feel like we cannot go back. And uh, she talks about how when it first happened, there were two words that came to her, shocked and shaken. Everybody say shocked and shaken. When I was traveling with her, she was talking about this. At that time, the book was going to be called shocked, but not shaken. And she said uh, to be shocked is to experience a sudden violent blow, a sudden disturbance of mind and emotions as through great loss or surprise. I definitely had experienced a blow and a disturbance to my mind and emotions, but I also felt I was standing and my relationship with the Lord was still strong. Everybody say she was shocked, but not shaken. Why? Because of her relationship with the Lord. Uh, then I looked at the word shaken. It means to be moved abruptly by force, to become dislodged. This is what happens to people um, when there's a death. Everybody say a death of a vision, a relationship, a personal death of physical death. See, when somebody meets physical death, they, they talk about grief. But when somebody has a death of a vision, they don't talk about grief. They talk, oh, we feel sorry for you. Or, well, you got what you deserve. I mean, it's not about grief. Everybody say grief. God is talking about grief today. And this is what she said. It's to disturb, to cause, to totter or tremble with fear, to be at a point of failure or collapse, to stagger or lose determination and strength by reeling, overwhelming blow, which causes a person to vacillate. And as soon as we're double-minded, we become unstable and we cannot go forward. Everybody say, I have to go forward. And she had to go forward. I knew that that did not describe me. I didn't get dislodged or vacillate in my relationship with the Lord and his word. And I didn't feel like I collapsed. She goes on to say, the Holy Spirit is the shock absorber. You know, I laugh because when she was here two years ago and she spoke, my husband, uh, we took her back to the airport and we were Bonnie Beetle and Sherry Peterson. So the three of us got in the back. We put Pastor Sharon in the front with Pastor Bill. And we were going down 65, and it was his uh, Buick. <laughs> and uh, I always said he needed a new car. I was so grateful when God gave him a car because this one, if you hit a bump, you just bounced. I mean, kaboom, you know. And uh, we were driving along, and Sharon goes, Bill, I think you need some shock absorbers. <laughs> I thought she probably thought of that in her book, uh, you know. And But she said the Holy Spirit, when she began to pray in the Spirit, began to seek God, her mind began to clear all of that fuzziness left, and she heard, take the ship, steady it. And then later, the Lord spoke to her that her son Paul would be the next pastor, which Pastor Billy Joe had told his associate pastor right before he was taken to uh, Houston, before he died. He told the associate, Paul is the next one to take the church. Please help him. He's not ready. Be, you know, steady him, help him. And uh, Sharon heard five years, 
you'll have to stay in position five years. Now, she might have wanted to say, listen, give me a year and then I'll do it. Because I am shocked. But God said, do it now. A month later, her father died and went to heaven. Brother Roberts, who was really close to, to their family, she had called him when Pastor Billy Joe was dying and said, Brother Roberts, you need to pray for, for, for Billy Joe. And he prayed and he said, Billy Joe, it's okay. I'll see you soon. Go on to heaven and take your rest. She said, that wasn't what I wanted him to pray. I said, goodbye. And I called another person and said, could you pray for Billy Joe? But Oral Roberts died two or three weeks after Billy Joe. He did see him very soon. And her dad passed the week after that. All of those deaths and January 1st, she took the church and has led it those five, led those five years until she passed the baton to her son. She talks about in here that about um, when things like that happen, we have to look forward. Everybody say look forward. And that's what God did. He caused her to look forward. Not about, not that he didn't love her, not that he wouldn't take care of her, not that he wouldn't heal her, but she had to look forward. She could not look at where she was that day. And she said the word that the Lord gave her to carry her through was, do you trust me, Sharon? You have to trust me. And, you know, in Proverbs 3, it says, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your paths. And she began to take that position. Now, I'm going to share with you in closing um, <clears throat> about her children, because, you know, uh, things that happen in people's lives affect their children. And uh, children, oftentimes, are not in a place where they can process that. Her children were all grown children. Two were married. The third one got married just before Pastor died. He actually did that wedding and then passed about two or three weeks later. Uh, and then they still had one single son, but they were all grown. But she said right at the very uh, end, she was uh, after the after the service, uh, the the verse Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans that I have for you, Sharon. And they didn't end with Billy Joe. And then he gave her this. She had, she had had this in a song that God gave her. She used to write songs. And she found the paper. The joys of your future will swallow up the sorrows of your past. The song goes on and says, and you'll be free. And uh, so it was a song she wrote. As she looked at that, she began to pray for her children. And uh, she shares a whole chapter on their processing the situation. The oldest, Sarah, um, she just, this is what she, she they, they all wrote in here. Uh, incidentally, this book is in the bookstore if you'd like to purchase it. But um, choosing to live awake to God's purpose after my father's passing. Uh, she talked about how just within a week or two, they were supposed to leave to go overseas to do a, a crusade and a, a Christmas crusade, actually, in, the, in Thailand. Uh, they took gifts. They were ministering to children, women. Uh, and it was something they had done for a couple years. She went to her mom and said, I can't do it. I can't go. It's too much. And uh, her mother uh, says, after sharing the story with my mom, Sarah, I believe if you will go in the midst of your own pain and loss, everybody say go, offer what is in your hand and just love the precious people of Cambodia, Jesus will do the miracles. And she said, I, I remembered a dream I'd had. And in this dream, there was a circle of people and off to the side was this girl and she was in a fetal position asleep 
And he, she said, I'd had this dream before my father passed. And, and she said, I remember saying, well, why is she sleeping? She needs to wake up. We have a job to do. Now, that's Sarah. Sarah is a go-getter type of gal. And in that dream, she's saying that about this person. And then she said, I sensed when God reminded me of the dream that that could be me. I could be that person in that fetal position. Or I could be the one that said, get up and go again. And, of course, she did go that year and minister to those people. Ruthie, the daughter, the, the other daughter, the second child, uh, she said, God reminded me of something that he spoke to me just a few hours earlier that night. This is right before her father passed, that if he were to pass, that it would only catapult each of us kids into the ministry and callings that God had for us. It would not diminish us or hold us back. Everybody say forward. See, everything that God spoke to these young people was forward, to go forward. Uh, Sharon had a, a vision that uh, of a, a like a bubble, and God took a hammer and hit the bubble. And all of these works came out of that bubble. And the Lord said to her, all the works that are associated with victory will now go forth and increase even more. In other words, there would be a harvest out of his death. You know, God, God knows the person that past is with him. So his perspective of things is not about that person or about the lost. His perspective is about what else that person is going to go do for the glory of God to keep them on track for their purpose. Everybody say the purpose, the son, John, he was, he, he tells in here, he's kind of the rebel of the group. And, and he had a little bit of a hard time with his dad anyway. And uh, in the end, he said, the last year of my dad's life, we were really close and I began to realize everything he was doing was to pour into me what I was going to need when he wasn't there. And uh, he said, it was just such a fun year with my dad uh, that I knew that he was preparing me, even though he might not have known, and maybe he did know, but it doesn't matter. He was close to his dad that last year. The one I want to share with last is his son, Paul, that is now the lead pastor of that church. Paul's the tenderhearted one of the family and um, of the boys, really tenderhearted and and uh, quiet, and uh, I remember when his sister, Sarah, left the church, he was put in charge of what was called 3D, the young people's, uh, young adult group, and uh, he, he didn't think he was ready for that, he wasn't gonna, he didn't think he could do it, but in the end, it exploded under him, and uh, so in this situation, he said, I was called to the hospital, I didn't even, I'd never seen my dad so sick, I, I'd never even really seen him sick, but when I saw him, I knew that this was really serious. And he said, um, we had lots of talks throughout my lifetime, but the talks I had with him those last two months that he was alive were much different. It's like he knew his time was running out and he would drop little hints to me about church and ministry, about family and about living for God. And uh, he goes on and he talks about the night that he passed. He said, as I was holding his cold hand, I felt a surge of electricity flowing out of his hand into mine. Even when Billy Joe was going, he was depositing and leaving something forward, and that would be him. It was as if God was allowing him to release the anointing, and it felt like there was a download of something powerful going into me. Amen. God is always thinking forward. He never quits. He never gives up on a call. After that day, November 22nd, it took me at least eight months to really emotionally move on. I would often wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares of the church, my family, my father. I would cry every day. 
Some days were worse than others. I remember just feeling depressed, walking into the church the whole eight months and oftentimes that following year. But I would be reminded of God's word that my parents had spoken to us since we were young. This should encourage you if you're a parent here today. Keep speaking the truth over your children because you don't know when it's going to be needed in their life. About choosing joy and not allowing a spirit of despair to rule our hearts. I remember reading a few books that really helped me break out of the depression. One was Every Day a Friday, How to Be Happier Seven Days a Week by Joel Osteen. He said, I read that one three times. Uh, I also had to regain my trust and faith that God would heal people after walking through that experience with my father. Everybody say, you have to continue. In 2 Timothy, where it talks about in the last days, that there will be, it will not be good, perilous times. But then as you go on down, Paul exhorts him, he says, but you must continue in the things you have learned. And you must know the Holy Scriptures because it's what God uses to correct, to bring reproof, to instruct, to lead. You must continue. Everybody say, must continue. Whatever it is today that you've been stopped in, you have to continue. And this is the end of the story. Paul was called to do a crusade in uh, San Paulo with a Brazilian pastor. And um, on the last night of the crusade, the pastor asked me to step up and do an altar call for people who needed healing. I told him that I was the wrong guy for the job and that I had gone through a tough experience of not seeing my prayers get answered for my dad to be healed. Everybody say, everybody is human. See, he is experiencing the hurt of that and the weight of that. Then this pastor told me, listen to this, Paul, the day before your team arrived here in Brazil, my 33-year-old wife died of lymphoma cancer. That's what pastor died of. And I was devastated. But she told me right before she died that she wanted me to keep praying for others to be healed and to never allow experience to change our theology. Everybody say, never let experience change your theology. That God is still the healer. Then he said, I didn't want to join your team this week in ministry because I was grieving. But when I heard about what you, Pastor Paul, walked through with your dad and that you came here to Brazil to preach and minister, I knew I needed to be with you guys this week and receive my emotional healing. Everybody say, grief requires emotional healing. He continued, so Paul, I will be your translator if you are willing to let God use the two of us through our pain to let his healing power flow here tonight. After that, I couldn't resist. (laughs) He says, I stepped up with him that night with both of us in tears and began praying for people to be healed and watched as God opened blind eyes, dissolved tumors, and healed so many people of various diseases. I know that my father was smiling ear to ear and still is today watching each of us kids walk out our destinies that God called us to walk in. Amen. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. I thank you that grief is subtle. It sneaks in and it holds people captive and will not allow them to go forward. I know, Father, because you showed me in my life what it was doing to me. And I know that today you're showing people in this room what it's doing to them. You may be here today 
And through this message, you realize, well, I just called it, I gave up, or I just called it, I didn't know what to do, or I just called it. Because of that, I just decided not to do anything after that. Whatever it was, whatever whatever you have labeled that situation, that God in your heart today is saying, no, that's grief. That's grief, and you need to be healed. You need an emotional healing in your life, and then you'll be able to go again. God can do something in an instant while you're standing right here this morning. I just want you to bow your heads, and I want to ask, I want you to ask God, is this message about me? Is this word about me? Because we're heading into an Easter season. You know, that's a time of new beginnings. Uh, that's, that's Jesus made a new beginning for everybody. And, and today, right in this place, you can have a new beginning right now and make a decision that you're going to, you're going to go forward. You're not going to stay in that place where you can't get out and you feel like you can't escape. Some of you, as I've been preaching, I see, I see in your life that that's, that's been happening to you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We're going to pray for you before we go this morning. I see your hands. Yeah, I see your hands. God brought you here on purpose today. He brought you here because he knew, and he's going to make a difference in your life. If that's you, I want you to quickly come down to the altar as I ask, is there anybody else here today that has never? Yeah, give him a hand. Anybody here today that has never received Jesus? Before we go, we always we always end a service making sure that that everybody in here has an opportunity to get their life right with Jesus because you don't want to leave here not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. We're going to pray for these. I just want you to sing, Lori, that what a beautiful name. Before we pray for these, I want to pray for all of you that are standing out there that know that it may be you, but you don't want to come up here. (laughs) I'm not going to let you out of here without giving God an opportunity to fix things. Amen. God knows where you're at today. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with your destiny. And God wants you to fulfill your destiny. And it's time to get out of that place and get going the right direction. Would somebody come and stand, Kelly? And what a beautiful name come. it is. Yeah, let's just worship. What a beautiful name it is. Yes. The, the name, name of Jesus. Of Jesus. Yeah, we lift that name up today. Yes. Just stretch your hands out here and believe God's just going to lift that today off of each life. To this, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name Jesus Christ. My King, what a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. 
for every person here today when all of you just lift your hands and I want you to say this if it's your heart Lord I surrender I surrender all to you I let go of everything that has held me captive I ask you to show me even the things I don't know give me revelation give me eyes to see I will go forward. I will stop looking back. I put my face like a flint toward the future. I will not let go of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I will fulfill my destiny. I will fulfill it with love. I will fulfill it with power. With the anointing of God, I will not miss my time. I will not miss my calling. I will flourish in everything that God has called me to because he is my Savior. He is my Lord. And the blood has taken care of it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Well, give God praise. Amen. You are alive in him today. You are alive in Jesus. Go and be blessed.